This is Jim Tollefson, President and CEO of the Chamber of Commerce of Hawaii. Why should other people listen to this show? Well, they should listen because I think they'll learn something from it. I know uh, I did some listening before I came on, and I'm going to uh, continue to listen in because you're never uh, you're never too late to learn. I think that uh, learning is a lifelong process, and uh, you if you stop the day you stop learning is the day you stop living. So uh, by listening to the show, you uh, you definitely are going to learn something, and you're going to grow and uh, and uh, be more successful. Greater Good Radio. I use it as a rule of thumb that I'm trying to get about five times my money in three years or ten times my money in five years. Hi, we can design your home in one minute or less. If you are doing your passion on a daily basis, then you're never going to have to work a day in your life. Greater Good Radio, brought to you by Central Pacific Bank, fiercely loyal banking. Welcome to Greater Good Radio Hawaii, where we develop tomorrow's leaders by bringing you up close and personal with today's top business people. Greater Good Radio Hawaii is dedicated to social entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Evan Leong, and with me is my co-host, Carrie Leong. This show is brought to you by Central Pacific Bank. Fiercely loyal banking. Mahalo, Evan. Today's guest is U.S. Congressman Ed Case. Congressman Case is currently running for the United States Senate seat in the next election. Please welcome to Greater Good Radio, U.S. Congressman Ed Case. Welcome to our show, Congressman. Oh, aloha. Good to be with you both. So what does a congressman do? Well, the only uh, specific constitutional obligation of a congressman is to vote on behalf of uh, all of the citizens that he or she represents in our U.S. Congress. Under our system of government, we've got uh, the executive, legislative, and judicial branch. And if we're doing it right, as our founding fathers envisioned, we have a good system of checks and balances going. The legislative branch is the branch of the people. The legislative branch is where the people elect their representatives. I represent 650,000 people directly. I'm the only representative that 650,000 U.S. citizens have in the U.S. House of Representatives. Indirectly, I represent the other 650,000 in Hawaii because we both, we being Representative Abercrombie and I, who are the two members of Congress in the House from Hawaii today, uh, really function as at-large uh, representatives. We really represent the whole state. So my job, simply put, is to make decisions in our federal government on behalf, uh, not only of those 650,000 uh, constituents, but on behalf of the entire country. Now, where does that break out, really, as a practical matter? I really uh, think I uh, have three levels of job, really. The number one is to debate and decide and vote on the great issues of our day, where our country is going to go. How do we tax? How do we spend? What is our foreign policy? How do we take care of people? How do we uh, protect our environment? Uh, how do we preserve Social Security? Any number of issues that affect us all as citizens of our United States. The second area that I work a great deal on that's vital for a small state like Hawaii, especially one that's 5,000 miles away from D.C., is to make sure that our federal government is working for us here. Uh, some of that is just uh, making sure that the federal monies are being spent appropriately uh, in Hawaii in the, in, the, in the right programs and at the right amounts, and really to advocate for Hawaii and Washington. A lot of it is just making sure that the federal government understands Hawaii because, you know, we got two different cultures happening. we got the culture of Hawaii and the culture of D.C., 
And whoever the member of Congress is, that person has to understand both cultures, be able to walk in both cultures, and as I say a lot of times, uh, be the cultural translator between uh, those cultures. So a lot of my time is spent on making sure that the feds uh, back in D.C. understand that, hey, man, you know, because you have ethnic diversity in Hawaii or because you have a higher percentage than anywhere else in the country of English as a second language uh, people in, edu- in, in public education, that you've got to apply it a little bit differently. So that's kind of uh, federal stuff. How exactly do you get these people to listen? I mean, do you meet with them? Is it voting? You, you network? What actually happens in that? Well, clearly, in terms of the voting side of it, uh, I am part of the great uh, debate, the great discussion, the great consideration of what we should uh, be doing in, in our federal government. And that, uh, that uh, part of my job is done on a couple of levels. The first and foremost, and I think most important part of my job, is staying in touch with my constituents. Because I'm supposed to be trying to understand and represent and advocate uh, for a viewpoint of my constituent, which sounds easy. But since nobody thinks exactly alike, you've got to try to form some informed decision. That's a lot of talk stories here in Hawaii. I've done 130 over the last three you, years. You meet with people individually or is it small groups, I, I, big well, groups? First, what? I, I meet with, first of all, I meet with anybody that wants to meet with me. Anybody that wants to meet with me can call my office and come and meet with me personally. Uh, sometimes a schedule has to be worked out, but I've never turned anybody away that wanted to talk to me in my office. Other than that, it's me outreaching into my community. Uh, when I go out to uh, Lanai, I, I hold a talk story uh, and a one-hour community meeting, uh, non-censored, uh, non-moderated. It's just me standing up in front of a room, saying what's going on, asking questions, answering questions, having a discussion. The other side of it is back in D.C., uh, talking with my colleagues, going through committee hearings, and trying to ask the questions that I need to ask, uh, debating on the floor of the U.S. House, and ultimately taking out my voting card and sticking it in in the voting uh, slot and voting on the great issues of our day. I mean, that's uh, that's the first part of my job. So about voting, because you're representing the people, and you know you're talking story, like you said, to a lot of the local people. Have you ever voted with what you wanted as opposed to representing the people? Well, that's a very hard question to, to answer because there's really no easy way to, to call that a black and white uh, response. Uh, there's just so many shades of gray uh, that go on. Uh, most of the time, obviously, if I am not representing a majority of the people uh, that, I, that I represent, sooner or later they're going to come to the conclusion that I don't represent them very well and then I should be turned out of office. But uh, having said that, I've voted now uh, 1,800 times in the last uh, three years and there have been votes uh, where uh, probably if I went out and, and asked people out in my community, do you agree with my vote, uh, maybe the answer would be no. But in that case, what I'm doing is exerting what I think is my responsibility uh, to provide my best judgment, given the information that's available to me. There's a very famous uh, saying by a British uh, statesman that uh, basically goes like this. Uh, you owe to your constituents uh, not only the, the, the representation of them, you owe them your judgment. And I've always subscribed to that. Now, uh, uh, there's no easy way to reduce that into any uh, clear-cut rules and any specific vote. Uh, but on balance, obviously, you need to be doing the job for your constituents. It's up to them to decide whether you are. You're listening to Greater Good Radio Hawaii. Please visit us online at greatergoodradio.com. Today's guest is U.S. Congressman Ed Case. Congressman Case is currently running for the United States Senate seat in the next election. Our show is brought to you by Central Pacific Bank. Fiercely low banking. So, Congressman Case, where do you come from? Where did you grow up? Well, I was born and raised in Hilo, in the territory of Hawaii. I was born uh, 53 years ago in 1952, and I had a fantastic upbringing on the Big Island all the way through age 18. I went through the public schools uh, in uh, Hilo through 7th grade or to 7th grade, Keokaha Elementary School and Waikakai Elementary School right in Hilo. 
uh, in the 1950s and the 1960s, and then I went uh, to high school at Hawaii Prep Academy in, in uh, Kamuela in Waimea uh, on the Big Island and graduated uh, from uh, there in 1970. Uh, so I spent uh, where I came from was the Big Island, and that's really where my uh, heart uh, still lies is out there in Hilo. How was it growing up on the Big Island being, you know, Caucasian? Did they have Kill Holly Day and stuff like that? Sure did. <laughs> did you survive? I mean, you uh, obviously survived. Well, so I, I, like? not I mean, only did I survive, I prospered. You know, it's it's a very interesting question to ask of somebody like me. And, you know, your readers, you know, your your listeners can't see it. But, you know, not only am I holy, but I look pretty darn holy. So, you know, there's no mistake in that I'm, that I'm you know, your classic holy boy. And I think You don't that, sound totally holy, though. Uh, you have... Well, that's my yeah. that's my upbringing. I mean, when I went to uh, my friends, uh, you know, growing up were were not howling. My friends were all over the map. I mean, uh, I went to you know Waikiki just as an example. Now I, I haven't gone back to really guess at this, and and but I would guess that in Waikiki, growing growing up uh, there and going to school there, uh, perhaps fifty uh, percent of Waikiki was uh, uh, AJA Americans of Japanese ancestry. Uh, perhaps twenty um, percent um, were uh, Filipino. Perhaps ten uh, percent were a Chinese. Perhaps ten percent were a Native Hawaiian. Uh, perhaps uh, another percent were some of the others. And then you know maybe three percent was Haole. Now when I went to Keokaha, which was in the Hawaiian homestead, uh, Keokaha Hawaiian homestead, ninety-five percent Native Hawaiian, and uh, you know a couple of uh, uh, Japanese, a couple of Chinese, one or two Haoles. I think it was only Haole in my class. Now I didn't think about that then. You know my best friends uh, were were uh, you know Hawaiian. Uh, my best friends were Japanese. My best friends were you know Filipino. So I didn't think like that in those terms. And yet looking back on it, uh, it was a fascinating way to grow up. Uh, and it uh, I think it kind of creates a little bit of a hybrid. What what did you learn from that? I mean, what what's the maybe most fondest memory that you kind of take and use it as life experience or lesson? Well, it seems quaint to say, but you certainly learn tolerance. You certainly learn uh, to look back uh, ethnic, uh, past ethnic differences and racial differences. Uh, you certainly, and, and to this day, I really don't think much about it. I mean, I think we're all conscious, you know, we, we can always describe somebody from an ethnic perspective kind of in, in Hawaii, but it's not the way that I think uh, the base, you know, the mainland is much more conscious of that even to this day. Uh, but, um, you know, here in Hawaii, uh, you just kind of move on. Uh, so I, I think, you know, I think I just learned... Uh, kind of just by living, uh, that there was a better way of living than what was going on certainly in those days and still is going on in the rest of this country. So, so uh, you know, my wife, who's AJA, uh, tells me, you know, Ed, sometimes she tells me, Ed, you know, your problem is that, that, that lots of people look at you as a haole, but you don't think of yourself as a haole. Uh, and so, therefore, you, sometimes you don't always understand what they're saying to you and the way they're viewing you. And I think there's a lot of truth to that. You know, uh, uh, somebody else once described me as a... Uh, Holly trapped in a local body or something like that. Or local trapped in a holy body. I guess that was it. Maybe there's something uh, to that, uh, you know. So growing up, what was it that you thought you were going to do? You're in Hilo. It's, you know, relatively a small town, big on the big island. But, you know, what were your dreams? What did you think you would be doing? You know, I don't remember having any dreams uh, growing up on the big island. And, you know, sometimes people look at a U.S. congressman or somebody running for the United States Senate, as, as I am, and you think to yourself, Boy, that person must have always wanted to be a U.S. senator. And for many of them, it is actually true. It was simply not the way uh, that life turned out for me. Uh, I was pretty happy-go-lucky. I mean, I knew I, I, I had a feeling that I would, um, you know, uh, come back to Hawaii uh, eventually. I wanted to go out and see the rest of the world. I did go out and see the rest of the world. I traveled the world. I went to school on the mainland. I had some 
pretty incredible backpacking trips uh, along the way where I just kind of went real low budget uh, out there and saw the world. And, and um, the fluke for me really happened uh, after I graduated from college. And I, frankly, I graduated from college. I was on the East Coast. I said to myself, uh, what do I want to do with the rest of my life? All my friends were going to you know, law school or going and working on Wall Street or whatever. And I said, ah, I really don't want to do that. I'm not ready to go home yet. Uh, so I saw this poster on the college counseling board said summer internships in Washington, D.C. And I thought, well, that'd be a good way to kill a few months, you know, go down and live in Washington and go to work for one of the members of Congress from Hawaii. I had some some intrigue with uh, politics. I don't know where that came from. And so I went down there and it changed my life. And that's basically when I got on this path, but not until age 22. Thanks, Congressman Case. Stay tuned for more on Sports Radio 1420. How do you sell his company to Akamai Technologies for $3 billion? Find out at greatergoodradio.com. Who donates 6% of sales to make more money? Find out at greatergoodradio.com. How do you get 100 stores and 100 million in sales in less than 10 years? Find out at greatergoodradio.com. Who raised $50,000 in a few weeks for the tsunami relief? Find out at greatergoodradio.com. And all while benefiting the community. Is managing your business finances taking up too much of your time? Welcome to the Money Minute from Central Pacific Bank. Today we're talking with Gail E. Gay Young, Vice President of Cash Management. For many business owners, streamlining operational processes and managing cash flow are two concerns that I often hear. The good news is cash management tools can simplify or even automate many of these processes for you. With online tools via the Internet, it's easy to take care of funds transfers, ACH, and wire transfer needs. Today, even payroll processing and tax payments can be handled online. By using these and other cash management tools, you can actually have more control over your finances with less effort. The time you save can allow you to refocus your energy on other important areas, such as new business development or sales growth. Today's Money Minute is brought to you by Central Pacific Bank, where you'll always find bankers that are fiercely loyal to you. Central Pacific Bank, member FDIC. This is Gail Jennings from HawaiiDiner.com and EverybodyEats.org. I read selectively all of the papers, but I tend to read more of the columns at Star Bulletin. A lot of it is I like Erica Engel. I like her column, The Buzz. I get good information from that. I like their coverage of the different issues. I like the Star Bulletin. Would you recommend other people to read Star Bulletin? Absolutely. I think we need to be as informed as possible. Star Bulletin. This is Jim Tollefson, President and CEO of the Chamber of Commerce of Hawaii. I definitely would recommend the Chamber of Commerce to others. The benefits are that you get to meet other businesses, you get to work together with other businesses, and help you improve your business to make more money to be successful. If you're not a member already, can give me a call, 545-4300, extension 388. I invite you to join us in creating a better Hawaii, Hawaii that's better for us, for our children, and for the future. We're back with U.S. Congressman Ed Case. 
So, Congressman, what was the experience in D.C. that made you get interested in politics? Was it a all, series of them or one? Yeah. Or? We can kind of dispense with the congressman. Uh, you're, you're, I'm, I'm okay being called Ed here. You know, if you want to go there, that's fine. Okay, we're going to go there now. <laughs> well, we were debating about. I have a know. hard time even pronouncing it. <laughs> uh, I didn't. I didn't change as a person just because I became a congressman. <laughs> so the question was, what uh, what changed me in Washington? Yes. Well, you know, I think first of all, uh, I was raised. Uh, to provide some form of public service. I mean, my parents cared deeply about uh, their community. Uh, they still do. They're still there. They're still active in their communities. Uh, they were uh, uh, on a range of uh, joint efforts to help out the community. So my household was a public service household. I don't think there was ever any question that I was going to do it in some way, shape, or form, whether it was you know lawyer, doctor, or teacher, or minister, or... Uh, but as a career, you know, it... Well, yeah. And so when I when I got down to Washington, I think a couple of things happened. I think, first of all, I just got so lucky with the choice of boss that I ended up with. And that was then U.S. Congressman Spark Matsunaga, who actually was my predecessor in the office I have today. So, you know, I think a lot about the fact that I'm actually walking the same path as Spark. And then he ran for the U.S. Senate in 1976. Uh, and so there's a lot of continuity in my mind uh, in that. Uh, but he just had the most amazing uh, purity about his uh, concept of public service. For him, it was a calling. He believed he was on this earth to help his fellow uh, uh, human beings. Uh, he believed in our country. He believed in democracy. He believed in Hawaii. And he had a very, very personal uh, uh, approach with his constituents. This wasn't some abstract thought. This was a personal one-on-one. -on -one. I mean, he taught me so many incredible lessons. Like, for example, uh, you know, Ed, uh, you are the federal government when you're walking around Hawaii. So remember that uh, the contact that people have with you is maybe their only contact with their government, and it's your job to make it a pleasant one and a welcoming one. I mean, it's just, you know, stuff that you can't even read in books nowadays. So I think that happened. I was clearly excited uh, and uh, involved and, and influenced by the great uh, debate uh, debates of our time, or the time then, many of which we still have going on. Um, it was a fantastic um, uh, growth experience. I had major responsibility at a very young age, uh, and I just decided at that point uh, that I wanted to translate this upbringing and, uh, and a predisposition to public service into elective uh, public office and see if I was going to be any good at it. Now, you know, I could have tried it and decided I wasn't any good at it and gone on to something else, but that's not the way it turned out. So what has been the most challenging thing about this type of career so far and how did you overcome that and what did you learn from that? Well, I think the most challenging and, and sometimes disappointing thing, well, there's, there's a fair number of uh, challenges. First of all, on balance, I've loved the career uh, deeply. I mean, I'm passionate about what I do. I love what I'm doing. I want to do it for the rest of my life. It's not my choice. It's the voter's choice. Uh, but from my perspective, uh, there is nothing that would uh, dissuade me or turn me away. Uh, voluntarily uh, from the work that I do. It is, in fact, a calling, and I think the great uh, professions and the great uh, passions have that a calling. Um, on the other side, uh, the things that, that uh, challenge me most are when people uh, deny reality. Uh, frankly, when they're looking reality in the face, when it's a, when it's a reality of a budget crunch in, in Washington and people want to rationalize it away, when it's the reality of a transition in the U.S. Senate and people want to say, well, you know, we don't have to worry about it. Uh, Denial is a powerful human force, and sometimes when you're confronted with change, the tendency is to deny 
the tendency is to be angry at the fact that you that you face a choice that you really don't want to face. Uh, so um, a lot of times what, what bothers me is not the philosophical differences. I mean, I can sit there and debate those. Not the fact that, you know, I won or lost a vote. I mean, that goes away over time. What bothers me is when people don't face up to what has to happen in order to make our country great and to maintain the greatness of our country or to help our Hawaii. Uh, then it's a f- tremendous frustration, and you just think to yourself, boy, you know, you're going to have to face this sooner or later. Why not face up to it right now? What do you feel are some the three most important traits of a politician? Well, I think trait number one is listening. Uh, you know, a lot of us think about a politician as somebody that talks a lot, and uh, clearly a lot of politicians do talk a lot, and many politicians talk too much. But I think um, listening is key. You have to not just go through the motions of listening because, frankly, I could give you a long list of politicians that uh, go through pretty good motions, but they're not really listening. You've got to try to uh, – it's a, it's a very magical thing that happens when you've, got a constitu- when you've got a connection with your constituency, and I call, it, I call it political osmosis. Think of yourself as being out there. Your job is to represent. Your job is to uh, advocate. Your job is to make the right decisions, and your job is to know – what your constituency is thinking. And so you've got to go out there in a lot of different situations and somehow absorb the needs, the wants, the aspirations, the desires, the philosophies of many, many different uh, diverse people. If you don't have an ability to listen, uh, forget it. You ain't going to get anywhere and you shouldn't uh, be in that job. Um, Clearly another uh, uh, part of uh, the job is uh, just, uh, at least at my level in the U.S. Congress, is just pure passion and energy and vigor and, and uh, ability uh, to move uh, at a very high rate of speed over a very long period of time. Because you can't represent Hawaii, for example, in Congress without flying back and forth dozens of times every year. And you've got to get off the plane and debate and you've got to get back on the plane and come home and go into a talk story. So, you know, if you don't have the passion for this, then it ain't going to work. I think the third is just um, really a, an ability to kind of synthesize uh, some very challenging and difficult issues and come to good conclusions and not only to come to the conclusion uh, but to advocate for the conclusion and to stick through the tough times like I said earlier sometimes people don't want to talk about the tough stuff and so you've got to have some perseverance perseverance is a key part of being a, a good public servant you gotta you gotta get on track you gotta stay on track and you've got to punch through the opposition uh, when it comes up uh, if, if that's what you believe you need to do you're listening to Greater Good Radio Hawaii. Please visit us online at greatergoodradio.com. Today's guest is U.S. Congressman Ed Case. Last year, Congressman Case was recognized by the Conservation Council for Hawaii with the COA Award for the Elected Official of the Year. Our show is brought to you by Central Pacific Bank, fiercely low banking. So early in our show, you had mentioned that Spark Matunaga had said that you are the walking government. Is it ever difficult for you to separate being congressman and being a father because I'm, you know, I read that you're very involved with your children's lives and their sport activities. No, the answer is no. Um, I, I am perfectly uh, willing and able to slip into the role of a, of a father and, and a husband. I mean, I'm, like I said earlier in the show, I'm no different as a human being than anybody else. I just happen to be a congressman. Uh, and so, um, I think, uh, clearly, um, when I need to be a father and want to be a father, I definitely am. In fact, I don't ever think I'm not a father. It's just kind of like, uh, you know, uh, like um, other fathers who have uh, or mothers that have another job. I, I have a job that happens to be a much more high visibility, high intensity public life job. Uh, but I hope 
Uh, and frankly, um, I hope that I have been true to being a father uh, to to our children. And I and I won't know uh, for another 10 years or so, because at some point uh, I hope that my kids and I believe my kids will come to me and say, hey, you know, even though you were a high visibility profile figure, we had a pretty normal childhood and you were there for us. And, uh, you know, I think that's going to happen. So we'll see. We'll see. How has your life changed once you became a U.S. congressman? Well, obviously, just from a, from a uh, from a very tangible perspective, I'm not anonymous anymore. I mean, uh, most people can walk around and walk into you know zippies or walk in walk down the beach and nobody really know who they are. But you were in uh, in politics before that, so people, some people at least, must know have known who you were. Well, eight years in the state legislature, you'd be surprised at how little people actually still. I, and I was a very high visibility a politician in in the state legislature, dealing with a bunch of tough issues. But I remember that when I decided to run for governor in 2000. Too, one of the basic questions you always have to ask yourself uh, when you when you're running for higher office is do people know who you are? That's a kind of a threshold because people are not going to vote for you if they don't know who you are. So for a politician, uh, uh, name recognition is the kind of the first and foremost thing you ask. So we went out there and did a poll at the very beginning of the governor's race. I still remember this, and I thought, oh man, you know, eight years in the state legislature, high visibility, people will know my name at least, and it came in like real low, <laughs> like thirty percent. So we had a high road to climb, and you know, so I was. At the time, uh, still very anonymous throughout most of the state. Now, in Manoa Valley and, and other places that I represented, high visibility, yeah, everybody knew who I was. Uh, but I could still do it. Nowadays, I can't even, you know, I can't slip over to, uh, you know, uh, Keokaha over in Hilo or, you know, uh, Lanai or some of the places you might think would be pretty remote without people knowing who I am. So that's clearly changed. Uh, of course, my life is a different life now because, uh, frankly, my job is both in Washington and Hawaii. Most of us have a job in Hawaii. I don't have a job in Hawaii. I have a job in Hawaii and a job in Washington that's 5,000 miles away. So there's just a logistical challenge of, of having a, a, a job in two, two places on, on either side of the country. How, how much are you traveling back and forth? How long are you staying there? How long are you staying here? Well, if you add up a standard year for me, and I've been in this for three years now, um, the, the figures would be roughly um, five months here at home. If you added up all the days... Uh, six months, most of which is in Washington, but I also do travel travel around the country and the world on congressional business. Not very much of that six months, but maybe two two of those weeks. You know, I've been over to Iraq twice, Afghanistan once, uh, China uh, once, and so those add up. And one month on a plane. I mean, literally, if you add up all the time I spend on a plane, that's one month. What do you do on the plane? Sleep. <laughs> you know, I, it's kind of funny. I started out when I was uh, when I was uh, doing the commute in the beginning, and I thought, all right, you know, I got this plane ride, and I can bring my briefcase and load it up with all this reading material, and I'm gonna, you know, I gotta dress up because I'm a I'm a congressman and all this kind of stuff. Everybody would be expecting me. I tell you, it took it took me about two months to figure out. Hey, man, I'm gonna dress comfortable. I'm gonna dress as as uh, informal as I can, and I get on that plane, and I've got my reading stuff. Most of it's kind of light, you know, some, some, uh, you know, this or that. And uh, I just pass out. I mean, that's my time. That's my downtime. My cell's not on. My BB is not on. So all this talk on, on the federal government now about whether they should open up the planes to, you know, cell phones and BBs, forget it. I ain't voting for that. <laughs> Are you able to share with us what your most memorable time or experience in politics has been for you? Oh, boy. That's a... Um, that's a very tough question. I'm sure you've I've, had I've, many. I've just had so many, uh, and they just are—they're just adding up. I think, you know, clearly election night uh, uh, is always an intense uh, night, and um, I've had some very intense election nights. I think the last count I had been in uh, twelve or thirteen or fourteen uh, election nights. 
I won most of them, but I lost three of them. And each time I lost, I lost by about 1%. So they were all cliffhangers. It was never over in the first printout. And, and, and I remember those election nights. I clearly remember the night we lost by 1% in the governor's race. Uh, there was the most uh, amazing feeling of, uh, of um, exhilaration and, and disappointment, uh, just, just sheer gratitude uh, that uh, so many people had supported me, so many supporters had worked so hard, uh, overwhelming, and yet to, you know, lose uh, is tough to take. And um, then, of course, you have um, election nights where you win, and those are quite, uh, quite amazing as well. In terms of um, the substance of uh, being in Congress, uh, you know, just a couple of kind of uh, brief, uh, brief observations. I mean, I think the times that I've met some of the world leaders uh, have been really fascinating to kind of sit across the table and get a size them up. I just personally, I've, I've met uh, some of the leaders in, in the Middle East. I've, lit, I've met uh, some of the leaders of China. I've met uh, clearly the president, um, other people in Congress, and you form uh, certain opinions, and it's a very interesting time. I've had some very, very tough issues over the years, both in the state legislature and and in the uh, in the U.S. Congress, where you're you're dealing with incredibly tough issues, and sometimes you make those decisions that are in, just incredibly controversial, and you've got to just ride them out. I remember those. I had a bunch of those in the state ledge when we were trying to reform a state government, when we were trying to provide a better business climate uh, against uh, long odds and and a lot of opposition. Uh, and then, well, just to mention this race right here that I'm in. I mean, that's this is last week, because uh, as we tape, I'm into this race by one week. This has been one heck of a week. So, Ed, our show is focused on the business community. Is there anything that you wanted to share with them as we finish up this show today? Well, clearly, I, I have uh, always had it at the foremost uh, part of my agenda to help the business community. I believe the business community is good for our Hawaii, good for our country, provides jobs, provides a living. And I always uh, tell my colleagues uh, throughout my career, if you don't take care of business first, uh, you're not going to be taking care of people's ability to provide for themselves. You're not going to be taking care of the necessary revenues that we need in government to provide for our common defense, our common needs. I spent 20 years in the business community uh, practicing law with Carl Smith Ball. Uh, I started as an associate, uh, went up to the partner level, uh, practiced uh, pretty pretty high-intensity business law throughout that period, real estate business law, Managed, uh, served as managing partner of Carl Smith for a couple of years, uh, so I was responsible for a a a business of uh, hundreds of employees and a, and a multi-million dollar uh, budget, which was a great uh, growing experience. And so uh, from my perspective, the business issues in Congress are foremost, uh, whether you want to talk about uh, litigation reform, uh, some reform in our bankruptcy laws, uh, reform in terms of uh, federal taxation and regulation. Those are all at the top of my list, and, and I've uh, tried to focus there. Uh, I think we've got to think about the future in the U.S. Senate, and I've got my candidacy out there, and uh, certainly welcome people to take a look at it at edcase.com. Nice, easy way to get to, to my campaign, get more information about me. If we can help people from a congressional perspective, uh, call my office uh, right here in uh, Honolulu, uh, 541-1986. Well, thank you so much, Congressman Ed Case, for joining us today on Greater Good Radio Hawaii. For more information or a transcript of today's show, please visit us online at greatergoodradio.com. This is your host, Evan Leong and Carrie Leong, saying please join us next time for another episode of Greater Good Radio Hawaii. This show is brought to you by Central Pacific Bank. Fiercely loyal banking.